Welcome to the Die Living Podcast. Today, Brian and I are hosting Jeff Dardia from Task Force Dagger, and we're going to be talking about his work with the Soft Health Initiative. I hope you guys enjoy it. He made a huge difference in my life, and I hope that you guys listen and he makes a big difference in yours. Broadcasting from everywhere and nowhere, the Misfit Crew at Softfleet HQ is proud to bring you the Die Living Podcast. Today, we have Jeff Dardia uh, on, and I've been trying to get Jeff on the podcast for, I mean, what, six months or a year? A Close year? to a year, I think. Yeah. So um, Jeff is probably one of the most interesting dudes in the SF regiment. Um, he's going to deny that. Big words, man. Vehemently. <laughs> but um, probably two years ago, I started looking on the internet at this quack dude who was posting all of these like medical journals, questionable science in my mind about like the dangers of mefloquine and, you know, like cumulative TBI issues and stuff like that. And I was like, who is this dude? Is he, is he a warrant officer? Is he a medic? Like, why is he posting all of this weird shit? He's clearly crazy. And then, you know, like clockwork, the army came out and said, mefloquine's bad. And I'm like, this Jeff guy may not be that crazy. Um, Special Operations Health Awareness Group. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It sounded like 100% bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and it helps that the craziest people we know, the craziest spouses were in there as well. Yes. And uh, yet, Jeff Dardia, d- against all odds, he's a weapons guy, not a medic. And here he is with all the science and all the medicine. <laughs> Hey, thanks guys. Uh, like I said, it was a battle uphill most of the way, but uh, we proof is in the patient and uh, you can't ignore science that's actually published. So you got to learn to speak the language of the, the audience you're trying to sell things to, right? So being an SF guy, you know the culture and the operational environment, but you know, getting your nose bloody, trying to tell people information they weren't ready to receive, it was a, a long battle. But once once you've gone through these things, you don't have to sell it because you're living it. And once enough people started, you know, realizing what had been happening to them, everyone started talking to each other. And it be- that culture of, you know, suffering silence was broken. And then people started coming in and getting help. And all that information became useful at the time. It wasn't relevant to them at the time until they needed it and were ready to receive the information. So, well, there's this huge survivorship bias within special operations when it comes to health issues because there's so much. There's an illusion of safety that's presented in the military, right? Like every single thing. You will not run. You will range walk on the range. You will never have your weapon pointed at anybody. You'll never do this, never do that. And when you're in this culture of that, you assume that the things, the environments the military is putting you in and the drugs they're telling you to take are have gone through that same regimen. They're for your safety. best interests. Right. Yeah. It's um think of all the risk assessments we do and all the, the crap online training we do. For stuff that we we know is obvious, right? We're doing a flat range. We do it every week, right? But we have to go through all these step-by-step processes. But when it came to drugs that had four black box warning labels on them or, you know, eating charges over and over every day, there was real no uh, safety guideline for it. Everyone said, oh, I love doing that. But they didn't understand the implications of what those things they were putting their body Bro, through. I love to do heroin too. Yeah. I mean, like that great. shit feels great. However, comma, it's not good for me. Well, right. there's also, there's also a difference between delay. You know, it's, it's, 
it's like uh, interventions. I was I was listening to a, um, a medical podcast the other day, and they were talking about the difference between um, the medical community adopting washing their hands versus some other interventions that seemed like uh, the the adoption of anesthesia. So when anesthesia came out, it was immediately adopted. Like within six months, every major hospital in the world was doing anesthesia and using gas because it was beneficial to the patient and it was beneficial to the doctor because the doctor not necessarily could charge more, but they didn't have a screaming patient that they had to deal with. They could sit there and do their surgeries in peace. When it came, when Lister came around and said, Hey guys, there's these things called germs and you should probably wash your hands and sterilize your equipment. Everyone's like, what do you mean? These are doctor's hands. They're not dirty. There's no <laughs> way that this is putting bad things into my patient. And it took not just a decade, but generations before people started seeing the efficacy of that. And I feel the same way about things like uh, interior door breaching charges right. for training. It's like it's like the everybody's heard you shouldn't fire the Carl Gustav more than four times a day or whatever that number then is. We all brag about doing it twelve times in a exactly. row in a gunfight. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't feel anything that day. Therefore, it wasn't actually bad for but it's me. But even even more so is that we all did feel something the next day, and we didn't stop doing it. Yeah, you're yeah. like, well, that that's coincidence. It's an outlier. It's not yeah. real. That uh, that pounding uh, intracranial pressure and the <laughs> blurry vision and the balance problems completely normal. My poop is always red. Yeah, <laughs> the bleeding ear. So like, essentially, Jeff has taken the lead. I, I think it's like it's worth noting that like as an NCO, Jeff has in my mind influenced uh, like actual institutional thought more than anybody I know within SF because he has been out tilting windmills like Don Quixote. Just I mean, you know, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is right. Let's do it the right way. It's cheaper and it's easier and it empowers guys, right? And uh Jeff, can you talk a little bit about like the kind of what went into this I, we talked about it earlier and so it taking everything you know uh go back to you know our doctrine uh looking at being problem solvers identifying looking like center of gravity analysis right looking at what the problem is framing your problem and looking at what was happening we we're losing guys to cancer and suicide more than combat and uh as a guy that wants to protect the person to the left and right that's who, that's what the enemy you want to fight is the greatest threat being an 18 fox being able to identify these things intelligence preparation of the environment or the battlefield, framing those problems and going to attack them and protect your guys. And then uh, what I looked at was the operational environment. What are we being exposed to? Uh, when I went through all this stuff, I had no clue about any of this medical stuff. All I knew is that I was dragging around a dead body and couldn't figure it out. And all I was being told is, oh, it's all in your head or, you know, it's just stress. But they weren't looking at, you know, being an 18 Bravo, firing hundreds of thousands of rounds every year being behind a minigun, a 50 cal, or, you know, shooting Gustafs and then cleaning weapons, handling weapons and munitions. I don't have to convince you that a carcinogen causes cancer, right? So if we know there's over 14 toxic metals in our munitions and we're being exposed to that stuff on a daily basis, there's no if we're being harmed by it. It's just how much, what's the, uh, how bad is it, you know, to what extent per individual? So all we did was I took all the operational environment inputs in of blast over pressure, prescription drugs, heavy metals, stress, sleep deprivation. And I was like, okay, these are my threats. And what do these things do? What are the environmental effects of these, the health effects? And then put them all together. And I'm like, holy crap, this is what's killing our guys. 
And when you go to, you know, explain that to someone, especially a medical provider, like, well, if this was a problem, we'd already be addressing it. I was told that over and over again, or I shoot on the weekends and I don't have any problems. Now, this is a medical provider telling you this, not a guy who's, you know, as a cephalic instructor doing 16 classes a year with over 150 charges per class at a minimum, and then over 150,000 rounds of class being exposed to all this, him telling me that wasn't an issue. Well, it was an issue. And obviously because the stuff was in my body, but, you know, it's, it's not an issue for him at that moment. Right. And it will be an issue, right? Yeah. Like I know that you and I are both friends with crazy Carl <laughs> and yeah. like Brian knows crazy Carl. Indeed. Yeah. And like, I know that when we came through the Q course, like crazy Carl is like, he's a mensch. I mean, he's this dude that oh, yeah. we all looked up to. He adopted each of us. Like we were his kid. He had more ability to build rapport than anyone I've ever met. Like everyone loves Carl. The team guy. Yeah. I mean, he is the ultimate in my mind. Work hard, play hard, yeah. man. <laughs> yep. Drink till 5 a.m., wake up at 545. <laughs> and, and take care of your own. Take and, care yeah. of your own. And he would like literally, like if somebody in if somebody on a team was doing something predatory against another guy on the team, Carl would like fight that motherfucker. Oh yeah. Like he would just be like, come here. I'm going to show you what this is like. And he had like a taser in one hand and an asp in the other and yep. be like, we're going to get it on. And like he stood up for the little man. Right. Oh, yeah. And he was great at his job and he taught all of us. Like, I mean, literally I, there's probably thousands of SF guys that he taught how to be better SF guys. Yeah. And when I worked with him in Afghanistan in 09, like I was watching like i still like i still i still love carl like carl and i are still friends but i'm always shocked at like the 09 transition like 0809 he the wheels were falling off yep. man i mean like it wasn't just i think it was easy to write it off as alcoholism right like you're like oh carl drinks too much that's the problem right but it was so much more than that carl was masking a lot of other problems that he didn't know how to address yep. with alcohol and when he woke he when he got home and woke up and was blind you know, just woke up one morning and had a synapse and was blind and his wife took him to the hospital. Like I know that she was really tuned into what you were doing. With, she was there from the beginning. That's yeah. when we first started that page. It was her and I. And that was like a big wake up call to me was seeing this dude that I viewed as like a, a bulletproof person. He man. Right. Yeah. Like yep. the guy um, just fall apart. Yeah. And like, I mean, he's so much better now. And not even that just written off so quickly. Um, that was one of the, the biggest things. That's why we started that. I watched what happened. I mean, group flushed him. Every, there was not, not just him. It was a, a certain sergeant major that was in charge at the time that was literally pulling tabs and throwing guys on their ass with nothing, no medical benefits, nothing. Guys are at 17 years with flawless careers up to a certain point. And that's what I always talk about is the check engine lights are going off. And what do we do? We try to self-medicate. We put tape over the check engine light <laughs> and then we hit the gas pedal, right? And then eventually the wheels fall off. That's what I, the analogy I always use is that we try to fix these problems by adding more problems. And when you cloud that environment and you, you can't identify those check engine lights, you're going to do more damage. And then eventually, like I said, it's the downward spiral, 15, 17 year mark. And it's, it's all the D's, the depression, the divorces, the DYs, the domestic violence, all those things hit it all at once. And then it goes from hero to zero like that. And all of a sudden this guy's a shit bag, get rid of him. Well, you didn't go from 17 years of a flawless career with 10 deployments and, you know, all of a sudden just became a shitbag overnight. They're damaged and we damage them as a, as a unit. And then we don't identify these things of what we're doing to these individuals. And then when they have problems, we hit the hammer on them. Zero Right empathy. over the head. Zero empathy. And it's zero defect environment. 
and we say, this guy's a turd, get rid of him. It, that's no leadership involved in that. Yeah. Um, that's not taking care of your own. That's not being the empathetic guy, right? The understanding leader. All those things, they get shut off. It's mission first, mission, mission focus. You know, we can't lose sight of this and we got to protect the unit. Well, you're not going to have anyone signing up to come back to this unit if you treat all those guys like that. Well, and they wonder why they were having this mass exodus of E7s. It still is. Because they, and it still is, yeah. yeah. Dude, they, look at group, man. Every time I go up, uh, like, so being a 20th group guy, like, I don't have to go to see the whatever's going on on the active duty side that much. But when I do go, I'm like, holy shit, there's a lot of E6s floating around here right now. Yeah, it's, uh, we're losing fast and we're gaining, but uh, it, it, the whole culture is shifting right now. Uh, even the senior leaders are starting to catch on all this stuff. I just briefed a command up in New England uh, with two generals in the room, and they're like, I get this. Like, I don't know why this isn't putting, why this information's not out it's, to the individual. It's so clear. Like, yeah. so I guess to, to talk more specifically about what you've done, like for me, and that translates to a lot of other guys. You got me plugged into the Cleveland Clinic program, which Task Force Dagger has spearheaded. It's called the Soft Health Initiative. Right. And um, essentially, you take guys that are experiencing health problems and you put them in the driver's seat of their, their own medical care. You're like, hey, man, TRICARE pays for 80, 85% of this. We'll fly you to Cleveland, put you up in a hotel for a night, and we'll put you in a meeting with a doctor who actually cares about what's going on in your life. They listen. Yeah. Like I've, yeah. I've, I've been to a lot of doctors in, you know, 14 years in the army and every one of those doctors, it's a, it's a puppy mail, man. You mm -hmm. come in it's contact support, man. Yep. Yeah. How many billable minutes can you so get? name it, blame it, tame it, bill it, refill it. That's the <laughs> system. And, and they're honestly, they're, they're bound to that and they can't go outside of it or they'll lose their license to practice. And you, and you walk in and you ask for things. You say, Hey man, these are things that are wrong with me. Can you please give me these tests or can you, can I address these things? And you're like, ah, oh, those things are wrong with you. Like your, your test levels are normal, right? Everything's yeah. normal. It, like you said, to who? It's normal to who? Yep. And I went to the Cleveland clinic and they took like 37 vials of blood. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, I'm going to, I'm going to die. Give, give, me, salt give me a cookie. <laughs> and some and orange juice. They gave me some take home tests for like stress, like stress hormone stuff. And the doc talked to me for like almost two hours. Like this, um, I mean, was it a DO or an MD? It was a DO. Was yeah. it Which, Dr. Bergman? Yeah, it was Dr. Nate Bergman. So Nate's yeah. the man. He yeah. was awesome. I mean, like he was like telling me, oh, I've talked to some guys like you and it seems like you have outlier experiences in this area, but like you're also very like atypical uh, or you're typical in this area. And, um, you know, like, and he told me like I, the thing I keep getting from you, like he's, I don't want to sound like I don't care, but you're really stressed out. Like I get that. He's like, you know, and he goes, a lot of doctors say that as an excuse to just tell you to manage your own life. But he's like, you should meditate more. You should do more. You, you like doing that. He's like, you need to take you time. You need to stop working so much. He's like, a lot of the things that you're dealing with are, are stress response. Yeah. He's like, you know, we're going to do the heavy metal testing. My lead levels were like through the roof. Yeah. Yep. Like crazy. But, um, like I've never sat with a doctor for two hours yeah. and had him actually give me good feedback. And then like, while I was in Iraq, he did a VTC with me to follow up and Tell look at all my numbers. And he was like, look, I can't give you good feedback now because you're currently being exposed to a lot more bad stuff. But he's like, 
you know, I want you to schedule a meeting when you get back from this deployment. We right. want to see what your numbers are like. We're going to put you on chelation to get the lead out of your system. And essentially, he gave me a list of tests that I needed to ask for from my regular general practitioner within the confines of my health insurance yep. regularly. Like, so I check on myself. I don't need to spend the money to go see Nate Bergman right. in Cleveland. He empowered me to take care of my own self. And all these other guys that are going through the Cleveland Clinic program that you've put on are getting the same tools. And they're, it's essentially, I mean, it's not correcting problem. It's not free. Right. But instead of a guy being like, I don't know why I'm angry. I don't know why I feel like shit. I don't know why my testosterone levels are low and I can't get a hard on or like, you know, I'm just tired. My body's holding fat all of a sudden, you know, what's wrong with me? Yeah. I'm depressed and angry. Now you're like, oh, there's a reason. You, you can show sh- exactly why for each one of those things that in conventional medicine, they treat numbers, not people. And uh, all they look for in a lab is an H or an L. And then what do they do? They manipulate the number of the prescription drug, but they're not actually fixing the person or addressing the underlying cause. And when you go up there, it, it's, it's three basic things. It's lifestyle, genetics, and environment. And lifestyle and environment are about 80% of your problems, which you can correct without a prescription. There are things, decisions you make as an individual on a daily basis that you can do. And uh, they use acute medicine when needed. It's the right time and the right medicine to nudge your physiology, to assist your biology, to get your body to do what it was originally designed to do, right? But what we do, like the stress, when you're under stress, your body can't repair. You're catabolic. You're in breakdown mode. And uh, your immune system, when you're under stress, is suppressed, right? So think about the environment we work on on a day-to-day basis. We're constantly on the gas pedal. We're sympathetic, overactivated, right? That's wear and tear breakdown. Your body can't defend itself. Your force field's down. And when you stay in that environment and then you add all the toxins and all the other stuff on top of it, your body continually breaks down. Think of it like a bank account. When you go in and you keep withdrawing over and over and over again, Once after a while, you're going to hit the wall, right? You're, you're going to you're default and you're going to run out. And that's what happens when the wheels fall off. And that's where we hit the 15 year well, mark. We're in a weird place here at Softly where like we're promoting like the, the things that I've learned from like Soft Health Initiative and just in general with a lot of our woo woo, you know, like hippie <laughs> coaches. If it works, it's not hippie, right? <clears throat> yeah, man. I mean, and honestly, like I don't care. Some hippie techniques are pretty rad, <laughs> but I know that like we push you know, meditation and mindfulness. And we push guys like getting like, Hey man, you guys need to get an adequate amount of sleep. And I know that we grew up, Brian and I, I mean, you two in an environment where like sleep's a crutch and you know, like you shouldn't be focusing on your feelings. You should be like killing something every day to keep your heart hard. (laughs) Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm down with that. Also, (laughs) it's, it is not a long-term solution. And a lot of young guys that we're seeing, like when we try to tell them about stuff, they're like, well, you're older. And like your situation is different. Like, no, man, we're still hitters. Yeah. We're still in the game and we're still doing it. I think, um, your story about going to Africa, like how long were you, recently you went to Africa for like how long? I was supposed to be a six month trip, but I got sent back, uh, early, only a month into the trip because of promotion. So, uh, but just being there, like I said, a whole different environment. I, I hadn't, I've been in my whole career is Afghanistan. I did a trip prior to Jordan and another trip to Africa, but Actually, it was a different mission. So I worked, I lived out on town, had my own house and uh, interacted with the locals every day. No stress whatsoever. And uh, was able to, you know, look back and think of my last trip to Afghanistan where you started thinking, I want to kill everyone I see. And that's, when you get to that point, you got to shut it off. You know, you've been there too long. Uh, You know, you're not doing right by having that attitude. 
especially being with younger guys that never been over there, you don't want to set that precedence. It bleeds off. It you know? bleeds off. It, it can become toxic. So. But I mean, you've been you've been tracking all of your like levels for how long now? 2012. All right. And when you recently went to Africa, I remember I, I, just to jog your memory, you yeah. told me like, hey man, I was there for a month yeah. and like your shit went off the chart, right? So yeah, oh yeah. So funny you say it because Nate Bergman actually called me. Um, when I got over there, my first trip, I, I was in Chad, uh, my lungs started closing up and then I'm like, oh no, I'm, I'm breathing something in that's pretty bad. Didn't know what it was at the time until my gum started bleeding. I started getting blisters on my gum. Mercury does that. And I'm like, there's mercury in the environment. So they put a pulse ox on me. I was at like 93 and this is hours after exercising and my heart rate was above 110. And I'm like, they're thinking pulmonary embolism. We need to get this guy out of here. I'm like, I think it's just reactive airway because of stuff I've been breathing all day in 110 degree heat. So they put me on a monitor for about six hours and then everything went back to normal. And uh, I said, okay, I'm going to call and have a test kit the day I get off the airplane to piss in to see what metals I'm bringing back. And uh, sure as shit, when the lab results came back, actually the lab company called the Cleveland Clinic and was like, where the hell is this guy? What happened to him? Um, they're like, is he eating thermometers? Because my mercury was 30 times over the toxic threshold. So uh, when you get that, you start getting like red dots all over your skin, your gums bleed in your airways, you get into Midas. And uh, it was all there. It was all happening. Hands swelling, feet swelling. And uh, two weeks after being back, I ordered another kit for creatinine clearance and heavy metals. And two weeks after being back, I was still above toxic threshold and my kidneys were damaged uh, from breathing and burning waste. Uh, not to mention the stuff that's in munitions over there, but it's just them burning trash, burning waste and mining. All that stuff comes out of the environment, goes into the water and the air, and then they burn everything. It's there. You're breathing it the entire time. So imagine being there for six months, I mean, nine months. Our guys, like universally, like yeah. whether you're soft or not, you're deploying into these environments. And like a lot of the problems that guys are seeing, <clears throat> and, you know, we can say what we want about command's attitude towards like, you know, like, avoiding risk right but like the fact that we all live on fobs and right. we're all like trapped in really unsanitary living conditions yeah. like questionably potable water a lot of like burning of trash yeah. a lot of local national serviced like latrines and things where like we're marginally meeting the minimum standard Absolutely. and then they're driving outside the gate and dumping it on the ground or the bases next to a uranium mine like in africa yeah. Um, they don't put bases next to things they don't care about that are not resources. So it's usually some type of mining in Africa, right? Resources where they want security on. So uh, they had guys in 10th group getting all the same cancers. Seals were getting all the same type of cancers. You got to look at the environment. Where were you? What was? What were you being exposed to? In Africa, there was no EPA. Um, you can go to the World Health Organization right now and you look at mercury use, right? And you look at Central and Northwestern Africa, mercury's through the roof, or Asia, especially China. It's got gold the mining. Gold mining. So that's industrial waste or industrial, you know, like uh, runoff fabrication. That's yeah, how they so separate the gold out. They smelt put, it. Yeah. Yeah. If you put gold through mercury, the gold will float because it's less dense. Really? Yep. Yeah. So that's ah. what they do. And that goes in the environment. Electronics, all that stuff you see in those circuit boards and everything, all that, there's mercury and all that stuff, uh, burning batteries and all the, everything they take off oh, yeah. motorcycles and cars and burn, you're getting it from there. In Afghanistan, they still use uh, tetraethyl lead additives for the fuel. So think all the stuff that you're breathing over there from the exhaust. If you, anyone's been through Kabul knows that yep. it banks down that black <clears throat> cloud over Kabul. 
that's carcinogens. That that stuff damages your DNA. And, isn't and, lead? Isn't lead like a very closely uh, correlated with uh, aggression and violent violence? Tendencies? So they figured that out in Washington D.C. and Detroit uh, back in the '80s after 1978 when OSHA changed their standards. Uh, it causes violence. They knew that from the beginning uh, when they started doing the research. You can go up PubMed or NIH and look up. Just put in your your. Uh, your your logic, right? And put it in lead and violence. Everything that pops up, there's hundreds of articles published well, that was, on it. That was a, an article I'd read a long time ago that was talking about, you know, we've patted ourselves on the back really hard about uh, policing techniques and community outreach programs and all that that has added to the d- decline in violence that's had it happened mm-hmm. since the early 1990s in the United States. And really, it's basically perfectly correlated with the banning of lead and gasoline. Yeah. If you look at like Flint, Michigan, right? It's every, all over the news. They, there's lead in the water, right? Yeah. The amount of lead that's in their drinking water is fractions compared to the amount of lead that's in the blood of our guys going through Sephardic or Cephalic. We're talking some guys 120 micrograms, right? Per deciliter, so like 30s, 50s, 60s, right? Now you, you get kicked out of training if you're over a certain threshold, right? Well, OSHA from 1978 said 40 micrograms and below, you're totally fine. Well, I think it was in 2017, the CDC finally said, if you're over 10, that's acute toxic threshold. And by the way, there's no safe amount. Two micrograms causes permanent damage for your kidneys. Uh, so right there, two. I can go to any, I can shoot in a flat range for a day and have six within a few hours. So I was at 70 or something when I was at the Cleveland yeah. Clinic and it was like, eh, Nate was like, well, you're not the highest it's been in here. Right. But you know, like we need to address this. And yeah. you're like, uh, yeah, okay. We, we had guys um, that do competition shooting. So they do three gun matches yep. and they load their own ammo. We sent a guy up there who's, I looked at him. I'm like, bud, you need to go get help. Just looking at him physically. I knew he was bad. And he's like, yeah, I, I you know, I load my own ammo in my house. I do all this. I'm you like, shoot three hours a day. You load a couple you, hours a day. You've contaminated every piece of clothing you have. If you put those clothes in the laundry, contaminated not just lead, the other 14 toxic metals, everything, your carpets, your floors, that entire environment is contaminated. It needs professional abatement to get it out. And trace amounts of that stuff, mitochondrial dysfunction, it stops your metabolism in its tracks and it damages DNA. That's what classifies those things as a carcinogen, either known or probable, right? And then you look at the medications they put these guys on for the symptoms that are probably associated with toxic exposures cause mitochondrial dysfunction, Right. So literally it stops at the cellular level. Well, it, it kind of blew my mind talking to Nate. Cause like, I know that pretty much for like the last 10 years, every time I've gone to the doctor, I've had a vitamin D deficiency, right. which is funny because I'm a tan dude and I'm outside <laughs> yeah. a lot. And like, it never registered to me that like I had a vitamin D deficiency and that that was tied to low test until Nate was like, well, what happens is that the lead that's in your system looks like, Calcium. calcium. Yep. And it it masks and it basically tells your body to stop producing vitamin D yep. because it thinks you have too much calcium. Hypercalcemia. Yep. Therefore, but what's really happening is that the lead is doing all this toxic yeah. aggression, whatever. It's a neuroendocrine dysfunction. And then all the normal things that would prov- promote normal healthy function just yep. go away yep. because they think they have to. Right. And I'm sitting there going, man, this is like there's a lot of people that this applies to. This is not just a me problem. No. Civilians too, civilian world. If, if you look at it, like uh, that was actually one of the first things I found when I, besides low testosterone, it was, I had low vitamin D. And then I looked at, okay, how does this feedback system work? 
if your body thinks lead's calcium, then this is doing something because my lead levels are through the roof. So I looked at parathyroid hormone. It was off the chart. And I'm like, wait a minute here. So my body thinks it's getting too much of this stuff. And now it's trying to protect itself. And I looked at the feedback loop and it, the damage was there. You could see the dysfunction. So that literally, if you isolate and troubleshoot your body systems like a car, you can find the problems. If you know what this environment does to your body, you know the damage in the systems that it affects. You go look at those systems, you'll find the dysfunction. So at first, when I first went to the doctor, like, are you trying to do my job? What do you think? You know, okay, genius. What do you think the problem is? And uh, Dude, they hate it, man. Yeah. And, and I, it, it's good. PAs seem to be usually like... The DOs get it. Yeah. P- PAs... Yeah, the DOs are, are more whole whole man. Yep. And the MDs well, are... are and, and that's not to say that MDs aren't great at specialization in what they do. But the last thing they want to do is spend a lot of time with you trying to. Right. But I don't understand like what you said. Like, are you trying to do my job for me? Right. That like, was at first. That when was when I went to Cleveland Clinic yeah. and I'm talking with a guy and I came back and I asked for Clomid. We were going to test the liver, like basically right. how it affected my LDLs. Right. Like, yeah. hey, let's take some Clomid, see if there's a response. Therefore, I don't have to get on. Right. Test injections. Right. We can try to nudge your body to do yeah. it itself. Nudging. Usually natural. over 40 when you're older, it doesn't work as yeah. well. But uh, like you said, you were trying to find the root cause of what was causing it. And I explained all of that to the PA at my G- at my general practitioners, and he like left the room, <laughs> yeah. and he came back with the doc, like the actual doctor from oh, yeah. the place, and he's like, "Explain to me what you're doing." And I explained to him. He goes, "What kind of doctor did you go told you to do this?" And I'm like, "Um, it was a do?" And he's like, "Was it a do that deals in endocrine systems?" And yeah. I'm like, "Um." I mean, I, I actually he deals in all systems. Like, I, I don't know. He's like, he's a, like, he's a, you yeah. know, functional medicine guy. From the Cleveland oh, Clinic. From the Cleveland Clinic. And then they discredit it right and, away. And he was like, he was like, well, he's not authorized to be uh, telling you to do things like this. And I was like, all right, like, let's just roll. Let's just roll back. Like, I'm not saying any of this to be a dick. Right. You, sir, or yep. whatever. If I take a small dose of Clomid, like if, if we take my LDLs right. and my LDAs or whatever right now, and I take a small dose of Clomid over the next seven days, and then I come back in and get the test again. If it's going to work to boost my natural testosterone production, you'll be able to see it, right? And he was like, well, yes. But I've never thought about using Clomid to do that before. And I was like, okay, well, that's what we're trying to see if it will work. The feedback. Is that okay? And he was like, I'll order the tests. But he's like, I don't, I don't approve you. I'm going to give you a referral to an endocrinologist as well so that we can compare and contrast what they, with them. So the crazy part about that is if you walk into a doctor's office and you say, I have short-term memory problems, I have anxiety, I have depression, I have erectile dysfunction. You're going to walk out with Viagra, Effexor, Paxil, Zoloft, and probably sleep meds. And each one of those drugs causes three other disorders. And uh, those are dangerous. Those kill people, right? Those things, suicide ideation, depression. But if, if you want a, a hormone that your body naturally produces, it, they look at you like you're crazy. I don't have a Paxil gland in my body. I don't think depression is a, zo- a, a Zoloft. I a Viagra gland. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't think I mean? erectile dysfunction is a Viagra deficiency, right? I don't think depression is a Paxil deficiency or an Effexor deficiency. Yep. But they're so ingrained with that, that framework of name it, blame it, tame it, that they're not thinking of, okay, thyroid dysfunction, right? Any type of endocrine dysfunction, your hormones are messengers. They control every system in your body and tell every cell in your body what to do, right? And they don't look at them as cause of dysfunction or, or dis-ease, right? They, if you took five symptoms, uh, weight gain, lethargy, 
short-term memory problems and anxiety and sleeplessness, each one of those is a condition by itself, right? And then you're going to get a drug matched to it. But thyroid disorder, right? Just having hypothyroid causes anxiety, sleeplessness, depression, weight gain, right? And they never looked at thyroid before putting five other drugs on board in your system that actually cause endocrine dysfunction and mitochondrial dysfunction. Then you're going to go from, I I had to five of these little problems to five major problems, and then they're going to pack more drugs on top with it. We look at what happens to a lot of the guys in the VA too. I mean, compound that with like being physically broken, like physically broken, don't know what your problem is. So you can't even try to fix the problem. You don't know you have. And then you cloud that environment, which is the brain, which is trying to rationalize all these things. So you can't even think. One of my good friends, Josh Lindstrom, helping him get his own podcast. He was on 4D, 4-0, 4-D medications at the same time. And Doc Bergman actually looked at him, went through his records and pulled all the medications out. We did a case presentation with him. 4-D medications. That's, that's criminal. All right. So this is not, this is active duty, by the way, not just VA. This is while he was on active duty. And he literally went through every single program active duty could offer. We're talking prep program. We're talking the NICO programs, the TBI programs. And he was work, He was at Care Coalition and he had access to all these things. Imagine not having access to anything, but the system that he had access to all these things, they were poisoning him. And uh, I've been trying to tell him for years, that, hey, go up to the Cleveland Clinic, try it. And Josh was being Josh and he's like, you're an 18 Bravo. What do you know about this crap? You know, uh, dude, my, my line and verse when first dealing <laughs> with Jeff Darty on the internet, like, uh, what the fuck does this dude know about this stuff? Yeah. Right. It, I'm it, still not convinced he is a weapons guy. So <laughs> I, I feel tested it. Right. I, I did. I'm a Fox now and I'm about to be a Zulu, but it's a, it's the framework, man. You're a problem solver. It, whether it's medicine or unconventional warfare, whatever it is, you identify your problem and then you come up with an operational understanding or approach, Right. You figure these things out, you frame them, and then you find all the pieces of the puzzle you need to accomplish your mission. I I didn't invent anything. All I did was find the subject matter experts in all these fields. Functional medicine encompasses all those things, right? People don't like to hear the word functional medicine because they think it's a brand name. Think of precision medicine or root cause medicine or holistic integrated medicine. Whatever you want to call it, it's taking all the existing science and research and modalities and putting them under one roof. And then solving that problem because the individual, right? Well, I think it's funny at the Cleveland Clinic, like, you know, it's like a group medicine thing. Like, I mean, obviously each person gets their tests individually and you have one-on-one time with the doctor. But I mean, I was put into a a group diet session and a group consult for like the time with the doctor and um, all the other people in the group, not not SF guys. <laughs> right. you know, like, we're like a weird microcosm at the functional medicine thing in Cleveland yeah. where like they like the data set they get from us. They like working with us in general, but the majority, what's the main doctor in that? Uh, Mark Hyman. He's a director. He's the guy who basically like kind of did the, the elimination diet to treat Hashimoto's, right? Yeah. So yeah. He, and heavy metal toxicity. Yeah. He was actually poisoned by mercury working in China. So he, and he has the same genetic predisposition. He wrote a book, I do. right? Yes. Yeah. The people that were in that session with me, the like the regular patients for the Cleveland Clinic right. worshiped the ground this dude walked on. They right. were like, oh, I read Dr. Hyman's book. It changed my life. And these are people that have like what modern medicine classifies as, a, as an uncurable disease, like a syndrome that they don't understand fully, but that is, is irreversible, like right. Hashimoto's yep. or, uh, 
Crohn's. MS? Yeah, MS. So Terry Walls, she cured her own MS with her own Walls protocol, which was elimination diet which with functional medicine. She works, she's helping the VA do functional medicine right now, but this is a disease that said, hey, no one can cure this. She, she was in a wheelchair. She's not in a wheelchair anymore. And she did it through diet. Well, and that's so. all the people in that room. Right. Like, really? Like, I don't want to do the elimination diet. Right. I mean, I, there's a, there's a couple things that have really helped me feel better. Right. But the truth of the matter is that over the last two years, I've begun to realize that a lot of the things that I eat are absolutely contributing to the negative ways that my body responds where it's like, Hey, I love red meat. I just did the 23andMe test. And one of the biggest recommendations there was you can drop 6% on your BMI. Like You're genetically predisposed to hold a higher BMI if your saturated fats are over 22 grams a day. I started to do the hand math on that and just stopped because I was embarrassed. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure I'm consuming a couple hundred grams. <laughs> I'm like, right. hey, man, I just like, I like red meat and, you know, whatever. Uh, eliminating the grains. Right. Like in the elimination diet, the big thing was like processed grains are, they're a toxin. They cause inflammation. They're an inflammation agent, yeah. right? So like this inflammation that you have is causing gut issues and it's causing a lot of these, these unexplainable syndromes. Yeah. And all the people that were in the room were like, man, I just stopped doing grains and I stopped doing- Dairy. Yeah. Like I stopped doing meats and products of animals that were fed by the same shitty grains. And full of antibiotics and hormones. And and- all my problems went away. And pesticides. Like I shit through a screen door for like the first 20 years of my life. Oh yeah. And then I did this elimination diet and I feel like a normal functional human being. I mysteriously lost 25 pounds. Right. Well, it's interesting how medical innovation has kind of come for full circle a little bit. Like in the beginning, you know, the, the, the engine of our bodies was totally a black box. You know, no one knew what was going on. Obviously you could cut open a cadaver, but you couldn't watch it react in real time to anything. Right. So all you had was inputs and outputs. And so you would look at the inputs and you would see what happened and see if the output changed. And that's kind of how psychology has been, you know, for, for the 20th century and really rudimentary. Well, once we, once we got the microscope and we got all these different uh, abilities to look into the human body, whether it's through x-ray or, or magnetic imaging or other things, now all problems became a micro problem. Right. So we're looking at these very micro solutions to what very well could be macro problems. And so we've kind of lost the forest for the trees, but the, the, the quote unquote hippie stuff right. is the stuff that's looking at these macro inputs. If we just eliminate these processed foods, will that help you? If we just eliminate well, it's these funny environmental exposures. Just because it affects me. Like you and I have the same diet. We eat the same foods and I have a response to something that you don't have. That doesn't mean that the input right. isn't causing that. It just means that you're resistant. Well, and we're gonna, definitely going to find very yeah. soon, and now that um, you know, genetic imaging and genetic sequencing has become so ridiculously cheap that you can start having these um, large databases, comparative databases where, well, all these people have this problem, so we can look and say, oh, they all have this thing going on. So now we can judge for that. But, um, you know, medicine is going to become much, much more individualized in the next 20, 30, the, years. If you guys go on the White House page, the Precision Medicine Initiative, that's exactly what it was. That was actually started on the Obama administration. Did a good job with it. And they're collecting all the data right now. So patterns of dysfunction. They're looking at the genetics. They're looking at the lifestyle. And they're looking at the environment. And uh, that's what they've realized. There's no one size fits all. I could tell you eat avocados, great source of fat, right? 
great source of anti-inflammatory diet. But if you're allergic to that food, guess what it's going to do? It's going to cause inflammation and cause your immune system to react yep. to it. So we, you have to test the individual, and that's what Cleveland Clinic does. So before they put you on an elimination diet, they're telling you exactly what you need to eliminate, not just all these things, right? One of the analogies they use in the Institute of Functional Medicine is like sitting on 100, 100 tacks, right? You can take 99 away, but if you leave one of those tacks on there, you're still going to feel it. So we can take all these symptoms away from, you know, eat this way or don't eat that way. But if you leave that one tack that's in there, whether it be a genetic predisposition, something in your environment, your house you're living, you're being exposed to, it's going to cause problems for the rest of your life until you eliminate that one tack that's still left. So you have to constantly look and assess your environment, right? It's like doing operations, always constantly assess. Uh, your body changes every day based on what you expose it to. Uh, genetically, your, your gene expression changes through environmental exposures. So, you know, one day you could be totally fine. You, you go down range, you, you walk past some, you know, stuff in the environment, depleted uranium. All of a sudden you got weird stuff going on in your body. It could be a genetic expression that changed in one day from something you were exposed to. So you constantly got to be looking at, you know, the body and what it's reacting to. And it, it's the functional medicine programs, the diagnostic computer so when the check engine lights come on or think of, think of a helicopter or an airplane, you don't fly them for 20 years. Then all of a sudden you say, okay, every five, we'll look at it and see what's going on. After a certain amount of hours, those things get pulled offline and they get fully disassembled and a function check done, right? A, a, a check flight. And then they look and make sure it's fully operational hundred percent. Then they put it back out on the line. They don't do that with us. We go for 20 years. Imagine the, running the Indianapolis 500 for 20 years. That's what we do as operators. And then every five, if you're a halo or a dive guy, you get a physical, right? Well, op-tempo, man. Like we just, well, it's, we keep op-tempo reasonable. Yeah. It's, all about, <laughs> it's all about bean counting at the yeah. end of the day. And it's very difficult to prove that preventative medicine right. is a good buy. I, I will say this. Jeff is actively proving oh, yeah. to command that preventative medicine in the capacity that the Cleveland Clinic's doing it. Yeah. Is a good buy sure, for them. But that means that some commander has to put that on the line item for his budget that right. year, which is going to cost him beans and bullets. In and that's going to help two commanders or three commanders or four commanders down the line, but that's not going to affect his OER for that year. So, True story. Funny you say that. So the, it, when I first started talking about all the medical stuff, it, it wasn't a when you showed the reduction in cancer or suicide or uh, any type of like self-reported symptom. Nobody cared. When I showed them that the DOD was spending over $7.7 billion a year on prescription drugs, and two-thirds of that was for retirees and veterans, that's what caught the attention. It was like, wait a minute here. You know, the active duty components are spending $2.5 billion on prescribed drugs. And if you could reduce that by 30% by getting people healthy and teaching them how to repair and maintain their own equipment, we could put that money somewhere else. Well, and beyond that, that's money that you don't have to spend training the new guy. You know, I was I read the other day training a soft guy to include tactical experience is yep. a two or three million dollar affair. Training a new pilot is a nine million dollar affair. You lose that person to illness or malaise yep. or or behavior issues, and now you got to spend nine million bucks bringing up his replacement. Yeah, that's um. They we have a program called Operation Restore with Task Force Dagger. And that's using the, we call it the person-oriented medical approach, POMA. Uh, we don't want to sell it as functional medicine because it's a framework and it includes functional medicine. But what we're trying to do is optimize service life, 
reduce injury, reduce illness, but at the same time, increase quality of life post-retirement. Post-retirement is when we're seeing all the suicides and the cancer. That's where we're seeing the prescription drug costs go up. So when we get a guy to 15 years and all of a sudden it's the med board, or like I said, it's the tab revocation, whatever it is, we lose not only the continuity of that experience going forward, but you know, where do you think all the recruits in the military are coming from? They're coming from military families. And when you keep screwing over generation to generation of active duty service members, they're not going to be so apt to let their kid sign up, right? And I'm going to go one step further with that is epigenetic memory. So all the exposures that we're being exposed to damaging our gene pool, then we have our kids and they're damaged. They can't put a uniform on. So right now, as of, I think it was 2014, over 77% of the population ineligible to join the military because of weight problems, criminal problems, low IQ. The IQ in our country is going down every year. Not only that, so is life expectancy for the second year in a row. That's a damaged gene pool. It's our environment. It's what we're breathing in, eating in, and living in every day that's damaging our genes. And think about doing that in a combat environment for 17 to 20, some guys, 30 years, right? What we're doing to that future generation of people that putting on that uniform. You look at the autism rates, obesity rates, diabetes, Alzheimer's, they're all going up at the same curve. And that's not because there's people serving in the military. It's because our environment. There's over 80,000 man-made chemicals in our environment right now. And those are endocrine disruptors. Those are things that damage DNA, that affect gene and DNA synthesis and DNA repair. When you put those things in the environment, they cause dysfunction and disruption. And we're seeing it every day. You look well, in Walmart. This is <laughs> so this hard. Is heavy, man. Well, it's, <laughs> and it's so hard to write that shit because people view environment yeah. and inputs as personal choices. Right. And so if you're telling them that those things are negatively affecting their life, right. they're going to tell you to fuck off. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, look at places in the, like Flint, Michigan, right? Look at a place where, you know, look at the violence and the crime. Washington, D.C. was the same way. But look at places in China where these people get all these weird birth defects and diseases. Afghanistan, prime example. When after we invade, went into Afghanistan, right? We <laughs> nice save. <laughs> yeah. on the invasion. Yeah, we don't invade, right? <laughs> Occupied. But we went into we Afghanistan. We them from their own foolish yeah. mistakes. Look where everybody or any country that adopts a Western diet. Look what happens with their disease, right? You see it in Afghanistan. They never had diabetes like they do now. It's, it's an epidemic in all these countries we're going into because they adopt the Red Bull and the beef jerky, right? Those processed foods start coming in and their organically grown foods go to, out, right? And they start going to Doritos and Pepsi. Why raise organically grown food when you can raise poppies? There you go. But you can see it. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's in our, our world, our civilization. We can see the decline of our gene pool by polluting it. And it's the conversation. It's the elephant in the room when you say, oh, environment. Yeah. Screw that. You know, like, Oh, save straws out of the ocean, whatever. But when you, when they Mount Sinai is one of the places we use to do the bone lead testing case. That was a great experience too. Yeah. It's super, super quirky dude that runs that by the way. Dr. Ant Andrew Todd. Yeah. yeah. But he's like, I'm not a doctor or he's like, he's like, I'm not a medical doctor. Researcher. Like I'm a researcher because yeah. I went in, I'm like, Oh, it's a uh, you know, doctor. Like, oh, yeah. Don't, don't call me doctor. See the guy was going to do chel chelation on you. No, no he's he, a dude. He's yeah. you tell, tell us so, about the dude. So Dr. Andrew Todd, uh, he does all the research, like uh, you know, September 11th, the first responders, all the cancer after September 11th. So he, they work at a research hospital that looks at environmental exposures and what it does to us. 
And here's a guy who's been studying lead his whole life and the impacts of it. In like Southeast Asia, right? Everywhere, yeah. Like he's like miners, lead yeah, miners, lead, lead miners. smelters. And uh, he looked at when I, f- when I first figured out, because I always was asked, where's the smoking gun? Okay, smart ass. Like if, if this stuff's affecting you, where is it? Well, I'm like, okay, so lead stores as calcium in your body, mostly lower extremities and the bones, stays in there minimum 10 years to, in- to your death. It's in there. So if I half, start like the half life's 18, right? So like, or is it, there is, there's 10 years to indefinite. Um, but in your blood, it's 35 days. Okay. So after 35 days from last exposure, then you should be showing zero, Yep. but it, it stores as calcium in your teeth and your bones and it stays there minimum 10 years. So I'm like, if I was exposed to all this stuff, it's still in me. So I got online. I started looking at procedures that could test bone lead, KXRF, fluorescent K shell x-ray, Mount Sinai research. They used it. The VA did a huge study with bone lead in 2009, showing that it caused an eightfold increase of ischemic heart disease with elevated bone lead levels. So I'm like, if, they, if this stuff's already out there and they're looking at it, I'm going to go get checked. So but you can't get it out of your bones. Like once it's in your bones, you can, can you EDTA chelation with IVs? Okay. The longer it's in your bones, the harder it is to get out. So if you've been exposed, the best way to get out is within a year. Like, but once that stuff goes deep, it's hard to pull and it's more dangerous. And once it's in, once the bone forms over it, right, then it's like it's protected, encapsulated right. and protected, right? So you're not seeing the immediate negative health based on the individual and like metabolic status and age. Everything's different, but the longer, the harder to yeah. get out. And Dr. Todd showed me like my curve, like, right. so it's, it's, this, it's this like ski slope curve and where. So apparently, Dr. Todd invented the device, the KXLR. KXRF. Yeah, KXRF. Like, it's a, a laser or an x-ray deal. Like a tube, Goes on your shin. Just sits on your shin. 30 the minutes you're laser, done. Yeah, the yeah. x-ray thing. I'm not smart enough to understand what was going on, except that I know he was x-raying my shin. You're not, you're not a weapons yeah. guy like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Holiday Inn Express. He, uh, he basically sits there and, like, you know, what is it? It takes... 30 minutes. minutes. Yeah. 30 minutes. He's like, I'm going to do this thing. Just sit there and don't move. Like, okay, cool. Like when it's over, he shows you this curve. And if you have lead in your bones, there's like a kick at the bottom. Yeah. And I had like a small tick. He's like, it's there more than normal person. But also look at this 30 year lead miner in Southeast Asia. And it's like this like crazy kick out, like like a shelf. And I'm like, oh, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. So uh, it, it funny, uh, we're talking about how based on every person's individual status as far as health, right? When you're optimized, your health is optimized, your, your immune system and the way your cells function operate as a force field. So if you have optimal, ha- like your calcium levels are optimized, your body's going to protect yourself. But imagine going there with vitamin D deficiency and osteoporosis because you have low testosterone and your cortisol is cranked through the roof. You're going to be a magnet right? Or you have genetic predisposition for poor methylation where you can't clear toxins fast enough. They build up. Every person's going to be different. We had one person because of HIPAA reason, I won't say a name, but we had uh, a CAG operator with one leg kind of narrows it down, but think of lead going your lower extremities, right? When they put them on the machine, Dr. Todd had to be like, I have to recalibrate. There's no way this can be right. Well, he had one leg. So everything went to one area. He said it's the highest level he'd ever seen on a KXRF. He asked him, he was like, do you work in a lead mine? But here's a guy <laughs> who's dealing with neuropathy, right? Nerve yeah. pain, phantom nerve pain, and lead shreds your nerves, right? Yeah, think of myelin being deteriorated. Heavy metals, that's what they do. 
And uh, here's a guy who's like, holy crap, how come no one ever told me about this stuff? So we started sending more and more people up there. And like over 75% of the people we sent, they're way over the threshold. For me, I think when I got checked, I was already in soft 10 years. So at the 10-year mark, I was already 30% over the expected threshold. So imagine if I had never caught this and it kept down the same path of exposing myself where I'd be in the next 10 years. I think years. it's worth talking about the fact that like heavy lead exposure, like despite all of the health deficiencies we've previously enumerated, right. is a number one cause of Mad Hatter's disease. Mercury. Yeah. Like Mercury. Mercury. Yeah. But I mean, lead is also, lead Make also does violence. as well, right? Yeah. yeah. So they're, neuro, they're neurotoxic. They but affect the nervous system. When we look at like the bad behaviors in vets, like especially yeah. like when we're like, oh, this is PTSD. And yeah. you're like, how much control does a guy have over his own behavior? Like he's going crazy yeah. based on heavy metal I exposure. I don't know how many HIV tests that the three of us have taken in our career. Uh, the every answer six is months. a lot. Yes. Yeah. And I asked at... Um, on Fort Campbell, like how many positives have you ever gotten back? And she said, zero, zero positives for HIV going through this station. Right. And I thought, well, so we spend all this money, time and effort. Every time you mob or demob or you do your yearly thing, they make me do a vision test. They sit me in this booth and they beep, beep, yep. beep, do the audio test. I know if I'm going deaf, I know if my vision is going, is, is being impaired. Now I understand that the military would want to also know those things if I was hiding it from them. Right. But I don't know what my lead levels are just innately. And guess what? We've ne you've never had a test taken oh, by zero. the military. Zero. So I've think, never had a testosterone, never had vitamin right. D, never so, had anything. So what's good, what's well, good. you have had vitamin D. You just, they don't talk about it. It's part of your yeah. regular blood panels. Is it? Yeah. yeah. They, they don't, don't come care. But what now. regular blood panels did the military ever do to me? Uh, Other you than physical. You take them in the physical. Yeah, like, but that's, that'll include what, vitamin D. That's like every five years, right? The, the yep. first soft imperative is what? Understand your operational environment, right? Yep. It's the first one. If you know that the environment we work in has all those things in it, it's, I told you, it's not if you're being exposed. No one's admitting that our environment has those things in it, right? Right. Like where essentially you and I are talking about it, right. but within our command structure, within the medical structure we we operate in, no one is is admitting. The the closest thing to an admission is a burn pit memo. Well, that, that the lead policies that were adopted in 2011 was a huge step. Uh, I can tell you right now that our commands have the best ones in the military now, uh, working out uh, USASOC and JSOC. They know it, but it's they try to go to different ammo, right? The, the lead oxide primers, but you substitute one toxic metal for the others. Uh, it's funny when I briefed up in uh, Virginia with all the people that develop all the ammo and weapons for the entire Department of Defense and every agency under the roof, uh, we had the Norwegians up there and they call it gas fever. So when they shoot, they have their guys have to wear a Draeger respirator on their helmet clipped in when they shoot confined spaces. Because they know the gases that are coming out of their weapons are they cause lung cancer and brain cancer, and they cause Super people weird to be when sick. When you take a lead projectile and you put a high amount of heat behind it, it and then gas comes out of the gun and you breathe it, the and lead, there's no lead in it. The lead projectile is not even <laughs> the real issue. It a little bit vaporizes as it's traveling over 2,800 feet per second down the barrel, but it, it's the propellant and the primers that are, you're getting most of the exposure from. It's that cloud that comes out in, uh, anyone in your eyes. An M4A1 is a gas direct system, and all that gas comes out in your eyes where the charging handle, where your nose and your mouth and your eyes and your ears are, right there in your face every time you're shooting. Put a suppressor on the end of the weapon, it's twice as bad, right? So they looked at it and they're like, you guys do what? How much do you shoot? 
and you guys don't test for this stuff regularly, they were baffled. And they were like, if we did this in our military, we'd be shut down. And then Range 37 uh, briefed right after the Norwegian. They showed their round count and they showed the blood levels they had recorded on the students going through Sephardic. And the room was like, you could, you could hear a pin drop. And they're like, holy crap. They're like, this is insanity. Dude, I worked with the Norsoft guys this, uh, this last trip. And I'm, I will say, I was off-putting how professional they were. Yep. Like, oh, yeah. Well, but the thing is, is putting Drager rigs on or whatever, it's yeah. going to be like wearing face masks and hockey. It's going to be generational. Right. Like, because guys are like, I can't detect it right now. You guys are just pussies. Right. What are you talking about? You know, it's, it's funny how my tolerance for, and just, just generally our tolerance for personal protective equipment has gone up right. as a culture, not just in the military. Like my daughter wouldn't think about riding her bike without a helmet. Right. You know, Stupid kid. Because from the first moment she rode, that <laughs> was a part of the deal. Yeah. You know, so now she's like, daddy. It's ingrained in her. Helmet. Yeah, it's ingrained. Right. Um, it's, it's part of her kit. And the same thing with hearing protection for me. From the very beginning, I wore hearing protection huh? in the military. <laughs> what? And uh, <laughs> Brian. Well, it's, I even wore it. I, it's so ingrained in me about right. around loud noises now. I wear it in my wood shop when I'm running right. power tools, like go grab my hearing protection. Yeah. The thought of doing that 20 years ago, Ryan's the most responsible of us, by the way. Like yeah. I just want to point out because most of us were like, what? Hearing protection stupid. I get a hate. Yeah. Well, my ears are important. Makes my ear itch. Yeah. <laughs> it does. <laughs> damn it. No, yeah. it. It's funny you say that, but like every is like every time I said any of these things are like, you know, the implications of this, right. Or it'd be like, we can't stop training. And I was like, look, we don't need to stop anything, but what we do need to do is develop better equipment. So think of an HK416, right? A tappet system. The gas goes out the front of the weapon away from you or a suppressor that traps these gases, right? Or what you actually do abatement in the places you work, or you actually have running water and laundry facilities at the range facilities. Where I worked as a Safawa constructor, there's no running water, still isn't. And we had to take those uniforms home. It's just making small corrections to reduce that. But by the way, if, if you can't fix a problem you don't know you have, if everybody's working in this environment and doesn't fully understand the situational context of what they're doing, they can't protect themselves. And a lot of guys are like, I don't care about this. Like, I'll shoot until I die. I don't care about cancer. But okay, you don't care about yourself. But when you take trace amounts of this stuff home and your wife's pregnant and causes miscarriage or stillbirth, I know guys had five miscarriages with one wife. You know, I had to cl clarify that error because of this SF, right? Multiple <laughs> wives in the picture, but with the same wife, five miscarriages, right? Stillbirths, premature births, birth defects, autism. You might not care about yourself, but that passes Well, it's on. funny but, too. I, when I went through Cephalic, I remember the instructor saying like, guys, make sure you, you wash your hands before you go home. Those of you guys are little kids and stuff yeah. like that. And I, I remember everybody kind of just groaning at like, thanks mom. Yeah. But what what they didn't say was, and your uniforms, don't take those home yeah. either, and take a shower before you go home too. Trace amounts. Like all of it matters, and we need to treat it like it matters, yeah. but it's it's really difficult to- If you take your boots home, like we always, I used to get my Toyota Tacoma with all my uniform and all my gear, and I'd you know drive home in it, and then my little girl would get in that car with her car seat. Anything you touched with any of that equipment, your body armor, your uniforms, your cover, your gloves- it's contaminated. And what do kids do? Yeah. They crawl. We're going to have to make sure that my wife doesn't listen to this podcast because well, my entire garage is full of like I, contaminated everything. Put it in a box. That's what I had to do. But you can't get away from it. it it's everyone always says like everything you touch, everything you tell me about is going to kill me. And I'm like, look, 
You just got to know what's there and then you have to do the maintenance. You, you think I about think what we do. Every person that says everything you're touching, everything you tell me I touch is going to kill me yeah. hasn't been there yet. Right. But I, and I, I'm going to go right back to harping on the Carl thing, man. Yeah. Like until you see someone that you respect and you look up to yeah. go from someone you look up to and respect to someone who is suffering. And it may be you, man. Maybe he's a caretaker to take yeah. him to appointments and drive and, them. And you know, what's funny, man, is I have always loved Carl's wife. She is a great person, yeah. but like, I know that like on the teams, a lot of dudes had a lot of bad things to say about her just because she was involved right. and she took care you know, she was, she was there. She's the reason he's alive right now. Absolutely. And yep. it's funny though, because you know, you say, Hey, wait, like wait till that person needs a caretaker, man. Most fucking SF guys aren't set up to ever. There is no one that cares about them enough to be their caretaker. Right. Like it's the same way that like you know you're. We most of us are so narcissistic in some capacity. I mean, obviously not Brian. He's I'm perfect. He's perfect. Um, but I mean, like most of us are set up in a way that our relationships are disposable, and we are constantly looking for the next better thing. Right. And those people that are the next better thing are not the kind of people that care about like seeing you get better no. and and taking care of you when you're at your worst. Right. And like if you are, I mean, the guys will be like, "Well, I'll do it by myself." I'm like, "Hey, man, like." You're not getting very far no. by yourself. Oh, I look at uh, a problem with the suicides is guys that are broken relationships. They don't have their There's no community. There's no nothing. Network. Yeah. They're isolated, right? And then it, think about every guy that you worked with is like, when I retire, I'm going to Montana, be away from everybody. They isolate themselves. They don't insulate. Which is actually like, if they have that as their dream, I right. accept that. I don't think that's normal. Like right. I see more, like when I worked at, at Yusufik, man, there was yeah. like, Guys in their 50s, early 50s, right? Like they pushed retirement as far to the right as they possibly could. They were terminal E7s or E8s. Oh, yeah. And they like, they hadn't had a real job in the regiment for a decade at least. Like they had pushed, they pushed it out so far, right? They were working in some staff office job, but that's all they knew. They're like, these are dudes that like, they are really nice guys. They're good dudes. At some point they had utility to the regiment. People remember that, right? But they don't know. Nobody that was there when they were at real are right. still around. They've all left. Either they moved on to something better, they retired, or, or you know, they died. Yeah. And these guys would retire around a bunch of people that didn't know them and hadn't been operational with them. They worked in an office with them for a couple of years. Who's this marshmallow? Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, he's a fat older guy yep. who has a lot of health problems. But you know what? We respect what he did. The guy has a going away party. It's got some like... You know, it's like mission barbecue and a cake and yeah. we take his ID card, which lets him know he can't come back in the building <laughs> after the party. Yep. He walks out in the parking lot. He gets into like a freaking 93 Toyota Corolla because it's the only car he can afford after his second divorce and yep. paying alimony and child support for his other kids who don't want anything to do with him because all he cares about is his job. And he sits in that fucking car and he like takes 30 minutes to start it yep. because fuck my life. He, he doesn't know what. <laughs> What's next? Yeah. What's next? Yeah. Like, hey, man, I'm going to go to Montana. No, you're not. You can't afford to go to Montana, man. You haven't made good life decisions. Like, you don't have money to go to Montana. You don't even have a hobby. That's, yep. You know, like, you don't have, like, you haven't figured out what life is all about beyond your job. Right. And that's the biggest thing that we always talk about is mission, purpose, and focus. After injury, after retirement, after ETS, whatever the circumstances were that pulled you away from that team environment, a lot of guys lose the focus, right? And their purpose and their mission. 
So it's like rolling down the windows. They're falling out of that building and they don't know where they're going, where they're going to land. And uh, that, that's one of the biggest things I tell guys is before they get out, have your no leg plan, right? Have your retirement plan. What's your purpose? What's your passion? What are you going to do for the rest of your life? Well, yeah. And, and it sounds silly. I've said this to more special operations guys than I care, but the uh, elementary school, if I gave you, if I wrote you a check for 10 million bucks tax-free right now, what would you do with that money? How would you live? Right. Most guys don't know the answer to that. No, and if I you, can tell you right now. And if, and if you don't, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you <laughs> have go. you have a shit ton of hobbies. <laughs> yeah. I see your driveway, and but I know what you're going to do. But yeah. that's the, that's the point, right? Is like yeah. if you don't know what the answer to that question is, right. what the fuck are you doing don't right now? Don't cut the cord. Like, what yeah. are you doing right now? Yeah. Like you, the whole point of earning money is to go do whatever the fuck you want to do. So we'll go back to that. So um, in two thousand seven eight. I started losing sight of living. I started existing. I did great overseas, right? I keep me over there as long as you want. Everything yeah, was perfect there. there. And uh, I, I went to existing to serve a job, my MOS, basically. I could do it great, but when I came home, I couldn't function. I, I wasn't living. I was existing. And if, if I wasn't task saturated or, you know, hey, you're going to do this or go to this school or do that. I didn't know what to do with myself. That's where hot rods, you know, and that was my always, my fallback was positive, constructive. you going 100 miles an hour is the only thing that crossed over to keep me in that mind frame of being in combat. It was a perfect fit, but I lost pleasure in surfing, skating, you know, snowboarding, all mountain biking, all the stuff that I lived to do. I wasn't doing it anymore. I was existing. I literally woke up, forced myself to get out of bed, go to the range, instruct, and then get home, forgot how you got there. And then sit on the couch staring at the wall going, what the hell am I doing? Like, I just want to melt. And then when you go to fall asleep, your mind's going a million miles an hour. I was existing. And I was like, this isn't life anymore. That's why I knew something was wrong. But I mean, as and this is one reason why I think what you're doing is so great with the Soft Health Initiative, because when you get guys back on their feet, like when guys start to feel good about living again, yeah. they can... Like, the process of going through this and looking at yourself and trying to fix yourself also causes you to do some self-work. Oh, yeah. Like, as far as, like, man, what does make me happy? Like, now that I feel better, what am I going to do with this, right? Yeah. Like, and if a dude's like, well, I'm going to fuck hookers, whatever, like, he's going to move to Colombia. To each their own. Yeah. Or Thailand. <laughs> yeah, like, I get it, right? You like to see little boys naked, so Thailand it is. Stop talking about first group like that. <laughs> I don't judge those poor bastards. <laughs> yeah, that, no, you're absolutely right. It's, uh, you got to have the purpose. You got to get back to living. That's every guy that we've ever helped. They're always like, what can we do to repay you? It's like, help the next guy out. Like look to your left and right. Cause every, everyone's got the same story. Everyone's fighting a battle you don't see, but it's the environment. Go back to the environment. You know, if you throw a guy into this environment for a certain amount of time, they're going to have that effect. How bad of an effect is different by person, but you're going to get some damage from it. And you got to be able to share that knowledge to help the next guy out. So it's not a shock to him or her. What's the next step in the, in the soft health initiative? So we're, we're taking it from, you know, my goal is to hand this off to the military, adopt the framework. Uh, and then what we want to do is advisory. So go be consultants, help. We don't want to recreate the wheel. We don't have to research to tell you that these things are happening. What we want to do is educate other medical facilities and other institutions to get on the same page to get this framework and medicine out there so they can adopt it themselves and they can start doing it on their own without us having to send people to Cleveland. So we want to get all this, uh, all these modalities under one roof within our own existing systems. 
that's the goal. And train, assist, advise a company, work ourselves out of a job and have the military and the VA start doing this themselves. Are you seeing traction? In the- Absolutely. Uh, SOCOM's doing their own initiative, but like any other government organization, there's policies, bureaucracy, and uh, you have problems with contractors. You know, if they reinvent the wheel, they get credit for it and they keep their job. So it's, a, it's the environment. Anyone that works contract or within SOCOM knows this. But like I said, this stuff's already available. We've been doing it for four years through uh, through TRICARE, by the way. This is something you can go to your provider, get a referral for, and go do. Um, so I know that just as a, a matter of like segueing, I, Task Force Dagger has really expanded their focus. Like initially, their real focus was only on operators. Right. But I know like as of two years ago, there was a lot of talk about expanding to the entire force. So what we're trying to do is if we had the money, we could do it right now. It's a donor fatigue. There's there's over 500 veteran nonprofits right now. So you're fighting for that donor pool. Um, we have three core programs, which are immediate needs. That's like the plane tickets, the hotel rooms, the medical devices. And then we have military adaptive sports and then, you know, repurposing people, putting them in the warrior games or doing recreational therapy events. Like you always see hunting trips, scuba diving, whatever it is to reconnect and get them out doing things they thought they couldn't do. And then the soft health initiatives program, which is providing the solution. It's it's the it's the education and empowerment to give the people the tools that they can maintain and repair themselves. And not only do it for themselves, but start identifying in other people to help them. So it's be creating that advisor, right? That that think of the team guy going out wherever you are, you're an ambassador, right? Helping as many people as you can. That's what the program's designed to do. So that that's where we're going with those three core programs. But it's all wounded, ill, and injured SOCOM. So every branch yep. under SOCOM okay. and anyone who's attached or assigned. And it's also, it's a family organization. So it's all your family members that are affected. So if they have medical issues or immediate needs, we help the family members as well. So if somebody who's listening to this is like, man, I really want to get onto that. Like, and you guys cover retired people too. Yes. Like, there's no expiration date on service. Yeah. So we've we helped guys from Vietnam, you know, Korean war vets. Should guys reach out to you or Keith? Go to the, go to www.taskforcedagger.org. There's an information line and you hit them out and just, you can say Keith or, or Jeff um, and Greg Nauer, who does all the appointments for okay. all the soft health initiative stuff. Just, this is what I'm want. I'm, I'm interested in this. And what I've would, never, I've never seen you guys turn anybody away. Never. Sometimes I feel bad, man. Never. I'm like, people are like, Hey, that thing you did, can I do yeah. it? And I'm like, I'm going to give you the guy's contact. I don't yeah. know if they have the money. And it, it's always like, hey, man, they put me to Cleveland like next week. Right. I'm like, we, the right cool off. thing about the foundation is we have less than two hour response time from request. So from flash to bang of, you know, we have a suicidal person that needs to get into a treatment facility. Within two hours, we got them a plane ticket and, and they're on their way. Uh, literally just happened this year um, and multiple times. But it, we don't say no. And the more money we have, the more people we can help. The goal is to get everything covered through insurance. So in, so medical institutions locally can do this stuff. That's what you asked me what the end state was. The end state is to get these facilities close to the home base. So Fort Bragg or Coronado or Virginia, wherever we have large population of soft, uh, we want to get those medical institutions doing the same level of care as Cleveland Clinic. So what we want is think of a standard, right? So if I know if I send someone to the West Coast or the East Coast or to Florida, they're getting the same level of care. That's what our our end state is to get this type of medicine at those institutions. And I I want everybody who's listening to this today also to take note, like if something's going on in your life and you have passion for it and it matters to you, you can make a difference. Like Jeff 
isn't particularly good looking. He's not particularly strong or Stop or it. smart. <laughs> and pasty white man is everybody in our community knows who Jeff is. And Jeff has made a major impact. Like if you if you can't hear it in my voice, like the difference that like getting to know Jeff and listening to what he has to say is made. Like you can talk to almost anybody else in the SF regiment, and they're like, "Oh yeah, that that fucking weird quack dude. He <laughs> he's made a he has made a big difference, you know." Like. So, I mean, it doesn't matter. You don't, you don't have to be a colonel or a general to make a difference. You just have to like get your hands dirty and convince people that like your solution is a clear, good solution. So, um, reach out to task force dagger. Um, I guarantee you when we link this uh, podcast, we'll have links to task force daggers main page and we're going to tag Jeff as well. So that you can pester him on Facebook because I feel like you spend a lot of time living on Facebook. And one la- one last thing, like for guys that are not military, for guys yeah. that are just very active, we have a lot of competitive shooters that work with soft lead. And um, there's a lot of guys out there that like, like to sling a lot of rounds. W- what would you recommend? Would, would you recommend them trying to find a DO or, or just is there any uh, online resources where they could start thinking about, you know, maybe seeing if they're on the right path. Yeah. If you go to the Institute of Functional Medicine, they have a, a search page where you can find providers in your area that do this framework of medicine. But if, if they're aware, if any person that can use basic mechanic skills to fix a car can apply the framework of medicine to that, they know what to look for. So they, it's like, once you learn this, you ask Doug, once you learn this framework, you can maintain yourself. So when the check engine lights come on, you know what they are. So you can say, okay, I think it's this. Then you you call your provider and say, hey, I've been doing this in my environment. I'm having these problems. They can go run the test and show you immediately. Sure. So it, it's just getting to the right provider that does this framework. So a lot of it is about going to your doctor and saying this. It's making the ee sound yeah. instead of the ooh yeah, sound. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to be the guy self-diagnosing everything you see. I got a, something growing on my skin. I think it's cancer, but... You know, you just use common sense where it applies. And when people in your life tell you that they've noticed a change yeah. and you feel like there's a change, yeah, you can ignore it or you can do something about it. Yeah. That's it. I mean, or you can watch the wheels fall off and your family, you know, disintegrate and your career disintegrate and be the cool, tough guy, you know, with all that pride and ego. But like I said, you're going to lose everything. I mean, you can, and that's another, like the entitlement thing, right? Like, I mean, excuses. Like the reason that you got broken only goes so far. Right. Like people can feel bad because you did what they view to be heroic things for right. the country. But in the end, you're still an asshole. Yeah. And and man, you have control over it. Yep. Right? Legit. Like if you're frustrated and stressed out and you're not meditating, right. if your dick doesn't work and you're not getting on test or right. something like, hey, man, like don't. Don't divorce your wife of 20 years because your dick doesn't work and then marry a 24 year old and your dick still doesn't doesn't work work, and and be mad about it. You know, like the problem is you. Yeah, it is. Everyone has a solution to their problem. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, like I told you, I had to look in the mirror instead of looking out the window. That was the biggest battle I fought was myself. I was standing in my own way from getting help and put it off for over five years. And I was like, I can't get that time back. So if I can tell anybody anything about that, don't, don't let your ego get in the way get it, go back to living, improve your quality of life. There's a reason guys are risking taking steroids and Viagra back from Afghanistan and Iraq. It's because their dick doesn't work because they're losing muscle mass. They can't keep pace with the younger crowd. It's because you're, you're in wear and tear mode and it's because of your environment. And like I said, you can't fix what you don't know is broken, but if you can make those decisions to optimize your health and optimize wellness, 
you're going to feel and perform better and every aspect of your life is going to improve. Well, thank you so much, man, for coming out. We love this. Love talking with you. Yeah, man. I will, we're going to try to get you back on and we're going to try to do some like actual like mountain biking content where Brian will videotape us doing stupid things. Too that easy. Never happen. <laughs> I still do not believe that you're a weapons guy. 